Lifestyle of Prayer. By Rod Anderson. Lesson 7. Father, once again, we thank you that the entrance of your word will bring light into our spirit. Thank you that you help us position our souls once again tonight to remember that first and foremost, we are spirit. We have a soul. We live in a body, but we are spirit. And you said that your word is spirit. And we ask tonight, Father, that you would allow your word to register, to, to penetrate our spirit so that it could become one with us. And we praise you and we thank you for it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. Amen. All right, this is hour number seven on the Lifestyle of Prayer, and we're on lesson six. And as I've hinted, we've got a lot of ground to cover, so I want you to turn straight to Ephesians chapter six. This is the first passage we read when we first started this particular course. And I ask you again to please, again, I'm, I'm, although I know that you won't, but do not turn off at these familiar verses because... Tonight, when we talk about praying the Word of God, this, this is possibly one of the most important, important parts of the Christian's life there is, and it's yet one of the ones that seems to be the least taken advantage of. The Bible is very clear that we're supposed to pray the Word of God over situations, that we're not to pray the problems, that we're to... Confess the Word of God. The Greek word for confess is homo logeo. It means to speak the same thing as. A lot of times when we talk about confession, we'll get to this, of course, of those of you that are attending courses next month on the faith, uh, the faith of God, faith towards God. We'll speak about that in detail. But so many people, when they hear the word confession, they only think of confession of sins. But throughout Scripture, the, the, the issue of words, the words of our mouth and the confession of our mouth is something that is crucial. And again, it's by our confession that we literally are going to have a future that's bright or have a future that's very dim. And that's just the truth. So anyhow, let's start reading here again in the Amplified from Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And again, of course, it's the whole, I'll read from verse 10 and we'll get down to just verses 17 and 18, which are the main ones we'll start with. Paul is finishing this. He said, in conclusion... Be strong in the Lord. Be empowered through your union with Him. Draw your strength from Him, that strength which His boundless might provides, putting on the whole armor, the armor of a heavy-armed soldier, which God supplies, that you may be able successfully to stand up against all the strategies and the deceits of the devil. Now, again, remember we've talked about that before, but really hear that. Our enemy has strategies, strategies that he will try to work against us. And some of them have been working for so long in our lives, we don't even realize that it's been there forever. But you have, this is why the entrance of God's word brings light. It will unveil and unmask these strategies that the devil's been using to outwit us and bring disaster or bring, you know, lack of success to our lives. But don't ever think he isn't real and that he doesn't have strategies. But Paul is saying here that if we put on the whole armor of God, the revelation of righteousness that we're teaching the other course and these other issues that are outlined in this armor, it's spiritual armor, isn't it? 
It's spiritual armor. He said, if we have this stuff on, that's what will allow us to stand successfully against all the strategies and the wiles and the deceits of our enemy. Verse 12, he said, for we are not wrestling with flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the despotisms, against the powers, against the master spirits who are the world rulers of this present darkness. I just can't believe it how so many people still say there's no such thing as spiritual warfare. I mean, how can you read these verses and say there's no such thing as spiritual warfare when it categorically lists these four levels, four levels, as it were, demonic governmental position that we war against? He said, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but we do wrestle. And the word wrestle there, remember the Greek, the root of that word is to vibrate against. It's very interesting because we're spiritual. It's like sound. You remember like when a lady, a singer hits a high C and how that, that note can break crystal because of the vibration, the pitch of that sound? This is an amazing thing, again, that we will look at that another time too. But the point about that when we work against spiritual forces, it's like a vibration. And that helped me years ago to understand that God's Word begins... it. It is doing something, like I said, in the realm of the Spirit, because God is a Spirit. God's Word is a Spirit. We're dealing with spiritual issues. We are a Spirit. And again, this is why we have to have, to have faith in the fact that when we are using God's Word, which is Spirit, that it's affecting things of the Spirit. Amen? Have I said Spirit too much? <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> He said, for we're not, we're not wrestling with only flesh and blood opponents, but we are wrestling. But we're wrestling against despotisms, against the powers, against the master spirits who are the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spirit forces of wickedness that's in the heavenly sphere, the supernatural sphere. Not the natural sphere, but the sphere just above our heads. The Bible teaches three heavens, the three atmospheres. That which God lives in, this atmosphere above our heads, and the atmosphere that we live in. He said in verse 13, therefore, put on, see, you have to do, you have to get dressed. Put on God's complete armor. It's best that you get dressed completely, all right? <laughs> put on God's complete armor, again, so that you may be able to resist and stand your ground on the evil day of danger. So, again, it, I don't want to go too far with this, but it speaks to, the implication is that if you are lacking some parts of all of this armor, that you're not going to be able to successfully stand against these strategies. In other words, that will be, as it were, the chink in your armor. That'll be the, the blank spot. That'll be that empty position that Satan can get one of his fiery darts into. In other words, you've got a, there's a hole over here that he can get into. This is why no matter how many times you've been taught this, you need to go over this over and over again and look at the armor. And there's a lot of books been written about the armor of God, but just look at it. He said, verse 13 again, Therefore put on God's complete armor that you may be able to resist and stand your ground on the evil day of danger. And having done all the crisis demands to stand firmly in your place. And God wants you to stand, to stand firmly in your place. Whatever this issue is that your, that your personal life is dealing with, we have to learn how to stand in the face of the enemy. I mean, stand there when he screams and yells. I mean, 
Remember, he's allowed. If there's one thing hell works with, he works with intimidation. And he intimidates us through the works of the flesh, through the things that are right in front of our eyes. I mean, they speak so loud to us. Your problems speak very loud to you. And what you have to learn is to allow God's word to speak louder. Now, forgive me for getting loud, but I'm getting intense already because I want you to hear this. Verse 15 says, and having shod your feet, well, verse 14, I apologize. Verse 14, stand therefore, hold your ground, having tightened the belt of truth around your loins and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. It says the amplified of moral rectitude and the fact that you have right standing with God. That's got to cover your heart. That's why we're, what we're teaching on Saturdays. Did you hear me? The breastplate covers your heart. You got to have your heart protected. And the only way you'll have your heart protected is with the revelation that I'm in right standing with God, like we're teaching on Saturdays. You know, not based upon my perfect behavior, but based upon Christ's perfect behavior. I'm right with God. And having shod your feet, verse 15, in preparation to face the enemy with the firm-footed stability, the promptness, and the readiness that's what? That's produced by the gospel of peace. In other words, your knowledge, your knowledge of the good news of what Jesus Christ has done is what's going to cause you to have mobility. Your feet are going to be shod with this. It's what's going to cause you to be able to move and make progress upon your high places of responsibility, like, like it says in Habakkuk. And then in verse 16 to 17, it says this, Lift up over all the covering shield of saving faith, Lift up the shield of faith upon which you can quench all. And it does say all, doesn't it? It says, lift over all the shield of faith upon which you can quench all the flaming missiles. Flaming missiles of the wicked one. Verse 17 says, and take the helmet of salvation. And this is the important part that we're trying to get to tonight about praying the Word of God. Now, really, really, let's really look at verse 17. It says, and take the helmet of salvation. Now, listen how it reads in the Amplified Bible. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword that the Spirit wields, which is the Word of God. And actually, it's connected to verse 18. And it says, praying at all times, on every occasion, in every season, in the Spirit, with all manner of prayer and entreaty, to that end, keep alert and watch. The word watch, remember, means to chase sleep. It says, to that end, keep alert and watch with strong purpose and perseverance, interceding in behalf of all the saints, God's people. The only offensive, excuse me, the only actual weapon of all this armor is this sword. But I wanted you to see this part. Now, in the Amplified, it actually shows the Greek meaning in the bottom of it. It says that it's in what's called the subjective genitive. Now, I don't think you could pronounce that. But what that speaks to is it says here that it speaks of possession, that the spirit is the subject or the agent, it says on the notes here, of the verbal action. But all, I'll put that in plain English to you. It says that the word of God, and the word here is rhema. Everybody say rhema. And over here, some people pronounce it rhema. I don't care as long as you get the truth of it. It says that the rhema of God, listen, is the sword which the Spirit wields. 
Did you hear that? Who wields the rhema? The Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Spirit that lives on the inside of you, right? Now look on the outline. Remember that the Greek word, the paragraph, right? That the Greek word here for word is rhema. Vine's Dictionary defines this as, quote, that which is spoken or uttered in speech. The reference is not to the whole Bible as such, but to the individual scripture which the Spirit brings to our remembrance for use in time of need, a prerequisite being the regular storing of the mind with Scripture. All right? Now, that's exactly what the definition is. But this is what you got to know, and this is what people don't realize. We are to pray at all times the rhema of God. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword which the Spirit wields, which is the rhema of God, and pray always. But now let's say it another way. Listen, what is a rhema? Well, a rhema is something that you have to have, isn't it? Right? Are you listening? A rhema is a word that comes up into your thinking by virtue of having deposited words in your spirit, having consistently given yourself to the study of God's Word, like it says. I want to keep saying the same thing over and over again until you really hear this. A rhema is a word that the Spirit of the Lord brings up into your remembrance for use in time of need, but the prerequisite is the regular storing, the regular storing, the regular storing, the regular storing of the mind with Scripture, in other words, study and meditation. But now hear this. Listen. The rhema is the sword which the Spirit wields. Now, the Spirit's in you, but let's look at it this way. If you don't have a, a rhema, listen, if you don't have a rhema, I would submit to you the spirit doesn't have a sword. Are you listening? This is so important. If you don't have a rhema, the spirit doesn't have a sword with which to fight the battle with. You're the one. You see, it's you and him working together. Remember, he's come to live inside of you. He's your helper, your strengthener, your comforter, your intercessor, your standby, your counselor right? He's the one that's called alongside. The Greek word is paraclete, the one who's called alongside to help. He's with you forever, but he's with you, but he's in there. But until you give him something to war with in your behalf, he's not going to be able to exert that supernatural part that is only able to be done by him. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, this is why we study, we study, we study until the word of the Lord dwells richly in us. So that when you're suddenly confronted with something, you've all had a rhema before. How many of you, for example, when you've been sharing with a friend or just talking to a friend that's going through something and a scripture will come up and you'll give them a scripture that you had no idea you were going to share with them. It came kind of out of nowhere. You don't even remember maybe even studying it. But at some point, you studied it. At some point, you read it. And maybe just one, you know, like your devotions. This is why it's so important. You see, when you're reading the Bible every day, the regular storing of the minor scripture, you may think nothing's happening. <laughs> but you, the Word of God is spirit. You're making a deposit into your spirit, man. And you're giving the Holy Spirit something to work with one day in, for use in time of need. You know what I mean? This is why, you know... Uh, words have to go from being logos to rhema. In other words, the more you study the Bible, the more words won't just be words. They'll become living. In fact, in the different lexicons, 
it's interesting. Luanita's lexicon, Thayer's lexicon, uh, Strong's concordance and what have you. Every time the word rhema is listed, it always says the living voice. Rhema is the living voice, it says. It always puts that in front of it. Every single time, every lexicon. And that's where the Greek spoke to so strong. This is a living voice. In other words, it's, it's trying to differentiate between a book that you're reading that's a letter. Something about it is living. It comes up and it lives in you. Hallelujah. In other words, it's not, it's, it's seeing this is what has to happen, whether it's with your finances, whether it's with your health, whether it's with your business or whatever area, see, you begin to release faith with. This is why we have to work with the Word, as we're going to get to in a moment, and work with it until the Word of God isn't just some formula. It isn't just something we're attempting, but it's, it's, I see it. It's living to me. It's a living voice. It's a living Word to me. I mean, again, you, you've meditated in it so long that it's like your spirit finally clicks. Your spirit sees it. It's revelation. It's revealed to you, you know, that this is the truth. Like Jesus said to Peter, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this unto you. When he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, he said, but my father, which is in heaven, he's revealed this to you. And it's going to be upon this rock. Remember that the gates of hell uh, that it's going to be upon this rock that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, he's saying, you got to understand when it's revealed, when you start operating in stuff that's been revealed to you from heaven, hell has no defense because hell is a spirit and it's a renegade spirit. Every one of those demonic forces of that. And we can't fight spiritual wars with natural means. I mean, you hear what I'm saying? If it is spiritual... If it's a spiritual problem, you can't fix a spiritual problem with a natural solution. You may put a Band-Aid on it, but it'll always come back until you deal with the spiritual part of it. Now, Hebrews 4.12, of course, just turn there real quickly. Hebrews 4.12 from the Amplified Bible. It's on your outline, but I want to read it from the Amplified. Father, please help me get through some of this stuff. I want, to, I want another eight hours just on these next two lessons. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word that God speaks, this is Rhema. Listen to it in the Amplified. For the word that God speaks is alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it penetrates to the dividing line of the breath of life, the soul, and the immortal spirit and of joints and marrow of the deepest parts of our nature. It exposes and sifts and analyzes and judges the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. But when you really meditate on that, this is what I mean. You begin to see how when Jesus cursed the fig tree, like I said, his words weren't, went to the heart, to the root of that fig tree because it withered and it died from the roots up. And you begin to see that God's word, it penetrates. It goes right to the heart of a situation, goes to the bone matter, goes to the muscle matter, goes to the brain matter. I mean, it goes, it goes to the life of a situation. But the more you begin to meditate on this, you see the more faith, as it were, you'll have in the Word of God so that when you begin to speak and pray the Word of God, you're not just mimicking or repeating or just going through a bunch of repetition, but it's alive. This is why I say over and over again when we had the prayer school that you need to pray before you ever pray. In other words, you need to get your heart and mind in the right attitude so that when you come at these things that are spiritual issues, you don't come at them just with some teaching that Rod Anderson gave you or anybody else gave you. 
It's because you take ownership. You've been in it. You see, this is the thing about the Lord. He's very, very jealous of you. He loves you desperately. He wants you to throw your arms around him. Uh, I've thrown my arms around him, but my love affair with him isn't your love affair with him. You've got to dig your own well. We all have to dig our own wells. That's the thing. And my faith, I learned from my spiritual father years ago, his faith affected me a lot of times when he was around me. But ultimately, I had to get my own faith. Do you know what I mean? It's like my son and daughter. Before they were of age, I could lay hands on them, and I don't even remember times when they didn't get healed, except for one well, a few times when I was in strife, when I shared in the love walk, when I was angry, and it shortcutted the power of God. But when they became more adult and more mature, the Lord had to deal with me, and he said, it's not for you to pray for them anymore. He said, they're of age. They're of age. They have to dig their own wells now because it frustrated me because I'd pray for them and things didn't happen. And I thought there was something wrong with me and I was checking my life out. But you see, there's this thing that God, God's serious about some of this stuff. He said, it's time for them to dig their own wells. It's time for them to make this their own. They've been around it for a long time. They need to get a hold of it for themselves. Hallelujah. Now turn to Romans chapter 10 and we'll look at this here, Romans 10. And you'll see how this works again every, all through scripture. But this is this is an incredible picture, again, of how we pray the Word of God. Now, as I go to read this now, I want you to remember that when we use the word prayer, normally everybody thinks of, remember, prayer is petitioning. But when we first started, we talked about there are many kinds of prayer. There's prayer where we just commune with God. Today, by today, I mean in this age right now, there's a lot of people that are very involved in contemplative prayer. Which, I, which is fine, where they sit and they just listen and they just quiet. That's wonderful. Uh, we call it just communing with the Lord. Praising the Lord is a form of prayer because prayer in its simplest form is communing with God. But now what I'm trying to talk about, I'm talking about a prayer, prayers that become a force. We've been talking about prayers, you know, communing with God, but now we're talking about where prayer becomes something where you and God are co-laboring together and you're doing business, kingdom business in this earth, all right? You're doing kingdom business in this earth. And this is what God really wants us to do. If you spend all your time just worshiping, worshiping, kissy, kissy, worship, worship, kissy, kissy, worship, worship, that's fine. But it's selfish if that's all you do. And some people, they say, well, that's all I want to do. I don't want to get involved in that stuff. And I don't want to get involved in that stuff. Well, that, that's selfish. If you really do learn how to commune with the Lord and get up there where you're, you, you, you're with him. I tell you, if you're there long enough, I guarantee you, he won't allow you to stay there. He'll want you to go out. He will. That's why it says he'll ta teach you how to go in and out and find green pasture. We go in, but bless God, we come out. And then we make a difference because we're called to be living epistles, aren't we? We're called to be living epistles of this stuff. He wants us to be, remember, representational. We're sons and daughters of God. We're supposed to be out there doing kingdom business. In Romans 10, verse right here in verse 1, listen to this. We're going to talk about how our deliverance is in our mouth. I'm going to skim some of this, but I want to get down. I should have brought my King James one part of this, but I didn't. But Paul starts out, he says, speaking of Israel, he just says, Brethren, he said, my heart's desire, he said, is that Israel be saved. I long and I pray to God for them that they might be saved. And then he says in verse 2, he said, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. I'm just going to kind of quote it while you read through it. He said, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. Now listen, I want you to listen. Just look up at me and listen if you don't have it. He said, I bear them record that they have a zeal for God. But he said, it's not according to righteousness. 
Now, again, on Saturdays, for the, some of you may not, I don't remember if you're all there on Saturdays or not, but we're teaching on righteousness, right standing. Now, listen to what Paul said. He said, I bear them record that they have a zeal for God. He said, but it's not according to right standing. In other words, he said, but it's not a zeal that really cooperates with the right standing that's come by faith. He said, for they go about to establish their own righteousness. They're going about to establish their own righteousness, and they're not receiving the righteousness which is of faith in Christ, okay? In other words, they're not catching this right standing that we have by faith. And he says in verse 4, Christ is the end of the law and what have you. But let's jump down. He said, verse 6, he said, but the righteousness that is based on faith. Now watch this. I wish I had the King James with me. He said, but the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. If you'll forgive me, I'm just going to quote it. But the righteousness which is of faith. Listen, listen. Oh, help. I really want you to get this. I want it to be so much more than a teaching. Praying the Word of God, this passage right here, if you really understand it, cracks open so much, but it's got to be more than just a teaching. Listen, but the righteousness which is of faith. Now, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith and prayer. Faith doesn't change God, but faith and prayer changes things, remember. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh, it speaketh. Right standing with God, which is by faith, speaks. Right standing, which is of God, which is in faith, speaks. He said, the righteousness which is of God speaketh on this wise. And the next words are this, do not say. Do not say. Now watch, I'll just read it, and then I'm going to come back and quote it again. The righteousness which is on faith, verse 6, it says, speaketh, and says this, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down. This is what it doesn't say. Did you hear me? If you've got right standing with God and you're operating in faith, this is what faith does not say. It does not say who will ask Christ to come down from above or up from beneath. I want you to listen. Righteousness, right standing, faith speaks. But what it does not do is ask Christ to come down from above or come up from beneath. Watch. But what does it say, verse 8? The Word, God's message in Christ, is near you, even on your lips and in your heart. That is the Word of faith which we speak, which we preach. Because, verse 9 and 10, here's the classic verses about, you know, how we get saved. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, if you confess, not pray, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ 
and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Why? For with the heart a person believes and so is justified, and with the mouth he confesses, declares openly, and speaks out freely his faith and confirms and confirms his salvation. Hallelujah. Now listen. Watch what he's saying. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just try to paint it for you here and make it simple. The righteous, I bear the record that they have a zeal for God, he said, but it's not according to righteousness. And then he gives an illustration of basically what they're doing. Oh God, we're waiting for you to come down. Oh, God, come from heaven. Messiah, come from heaven. Or, oh, God, come from beneath, the one have you. Now, here's where I have to ask you a question. Now, listen. How many times do you find yourself praying like this? Lord, please come heal me. Lord, please come bless me. Lord, please come Please, Lord, come, please, Lord, come, please, Lord, come, please, Lord, come, please, Lord, come. And you got to walk with me here because God in his grace will bless a lot of things. But when you mature, you're supposed to mature. He's, just ask yourself a question. Isn't that asking God to come down from above? But what does it say? He said, but the righteousness of which is of faith speaks on this wise. If you will confess with your mouth, and believe in your heart that God already has raised him from the dead. If you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart what God has already done. If you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart what God has already done, you'll be saved. And remember the word saved. From the other, other courses, remember? Salvation, sozo, the all-inclusive word of Scripture. Salvation, healing, preservation, deliverance, soundness of mind. For with the heart man believes. And again, we got to stop. You know, like I said, we'll really teach this a lot in faith because we're going to really hammer it until it gets imprinted on somebody's soul. <laughs> There's no place in Scripture where the Word of God asks us to believe with this hunk of meat between our ears. Every verse that speaks about believing speaks about believing with the heart. And remember, it's not speaking about that physical blood pump that's in your chest. It's talking about your spirit. It's when you begin to speak with your mouth what you believe in your heart, it says you'll be saved, you'll be healed, you'll be blessed. That's when the power, that's when we're connected. This is why... I, I say it a thousand different ways in the same time, and I know I get very repetitious, but I want you to get it. We've got to get to your spirit. I've got to find out what's really in your spirit. And the only time I really find out what's in your spirit is when I see you under pressure. Did you hear me? I know what I only see in front of the church service on Sunday when everybody's dancing and singing, it may look cool. But when the unexpected comes... And when you're challenged with something out on the streets of London or whatever, and the road rage opportunity comes, you know, that my wife's seen me have to deal with at times, <laughs> that's when we find out what's in your heart in abundance. For out of the 
abundance of the heart. The overflow, it says in the Greek, out of the overflow, the abundance, what's in your heart in abundance? It says your mouth will speak. Your mouth will speak. I said your mouth will speak. Dr. Cole used to talk about, and it is a sad thing in one say, the older a person gets, have you ever gone into, you know, a rest home, a home for the elderly? When you get around people that are in the last five years of their life and they're in their late 80s or their 90s or something like that, the way Dr. Cole would put it this way, all personality is gone, and the only thing that's left is their actual character. That's why you get around some people, and when they are past their mind, what's in their spirit comes out, and you'll hear these old men and old women cussing and swearing and foul language coming out of them. Have, have you ever witnessed that? It's so sad because it's in their spirit. My mom, my mother, bless her saintly heart, she's in heaven. And, you know, we had to put her in a rest home for her own good and safety in the last five years of her life. It used to break my heart there in California. I'd go back. To, I felt guilty because I was here and I'd go back. And finally I got to the point I kept asking, God, you need to release my mom. My mom was the sweetest, kindest lady. <laughs> but my mom was the most gentle, kind. I mean, the, the contrast between my mother and these other people in this hospital was black and white. It was just unbelievable. And she wasn't the only one. There's others. Just the kindness that was there, even after her mind wasn't really able to, to, you know, to figure things out. You know what I mean? Just the kindness, the smiles, the grace that was in her spirit was pouring out. But on some of these others who had appeared to be kind people before they got to that stage, suddenly people discovered there was all kinds of junk in their spirit. And that's an incredible thing to think about. See, it's What's in your heart in abundance is what comes out. When all the personality is gone, sweetheart, this is why I, when I work with, used to work with young people, a lot of guys that are thinking about marrying a girl or girls that are thinking about marrying some guy, the first question I always ask is, have you seen him under pressure? <laughs> you don't, don't align yourself with anybody until you've seen him under pressure because what's in their heart will always manifest in the natural at some point. Anyhow. Now watch this. So what's Paul saying here? He said, a right standing with God. We're talking about prayer now that is not just a petitioning. We're talking about this. Now let me just jump back to this. He said, Do, right standing, which is a faith, does not ask God to come down from above or up from beneath. But what does it say? It confesses with the mouth and believes with the heart that God hath already raised him from the dead. Hallelujah. In other words, it speaks about what God has already done. Let me give you another verse that's not in the outline. In 1 Corinthians, I think it's the first chapter, maybe 2 Corinthians, first chapter, I forget. Have you heard this verse? Listen, all, all the promises of God find their yes answer in Christ Jesus. Are you listening now? And we utter the amen to them. Did you hear that? What's amen mean? So be it. This is why, see, now I pray for others. Listen, I pray for others. But when it comes to myself, I don't pray for God to do something. I confess what God has done. All the promises of God have found their yes answer in Christ. I utter the amen to it. So when it comes to me, I say, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, this sickness is unlawful in my body. 
I am the redeemed of the Lord. I am the healed of the Lord. Jesus Christ himself took my infirmities and he bore my sicknesses. So be it in my life. So be it. Amen. I say the amen to it. That's different. Now, it is, quote, unquote, a form of prayer. But see, I'm trying to get you to understand it's not petition. I don't petition God for what he's already done. He already has paid the price for my, he's already paid the price for my blessing. He's paid the price for all of these things. This is why you have to know what you've been redeemed from so that you can know what you need to speak to. Your deliverance is in your mouth. The rhema is nigh you. It's the very method that brought about your salvation. And even think about that. When you got saved, you confessed with your mouth something that you believed with your heart. You couldn't figure this stuff out with your head, could you? Could you explain perfectly in those days the virgin birth to somebody? I can. <laughs> I can now because I understand. But the, well, it's just what we're talking about. What did Mary do? Just real quick. The word of the Lord came to her. What did she do? She said, behold, the handmaiden of the Lord. That word she received into her womb and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Isn't that simple? But isn't that awesome? Do you think anything's changed today? No. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you'll receive the word of God into the womb of your spirit, into your spirit, that word that seems intangible, if you won't abort it, will take upon itself flesh. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. I mean, you know, see it. See, are, you, are, are you hearing this? Yes. You know, it's just, you know, I could teach this every night and have my own party. Because, I mean, this, this is so real to me because I've watched it for so long. But we abort this pregnancy over and over again because we're looking for something in the physical realm, but it's something that's happening in the realm of the spirit. That's why you have to hold fast to the confession of your faith without wavering for faithful is he, is, is he who has promised it. Your deliverance... As in your mouth, the rhema is now you. It's the very method that brought about your salvation. It's a pattern that's to be used throughout your Christian experience. We can therefore also use this truth in our prayer life. In Isaiah 43, 26, Isaiah said, God said this. He said, put me in remembrance. This is the Lord speaking. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. The Amplified Bible says to set forth your case. Do you have a case? Built upon the word of God to petition the Lord with. Turn the page. Jeremiah 23, 29. This is a great verse too. Listen to this one. God says this. Is not my word like fire that consumes all that cannot endure the test, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks in pieces the rock of most stubborn resistance. <laughs> Is that a great verse or what? Somebody say that's a great verse besides me, please. That's a great verse. As I'll just read the next paragraph. As we learn to be faithful with the mighty word of God in prayer, we will see it work like the hammer it is. If we'll learn to just keep swinging the hammer, we'll start seeing that mountain of problems and situations, etc., fly apart piece by piece. Because God is faithful to his word, he watches over it to perform it for his children. 
But again, see, God's Word is spirit. Do you hear me? Your problem is maybe a physical, natural problem, but there's a spiritual solution. And you've heard me say this before, but look up at me so you can hear me again. God taught me so categorically all those years ago, He really run me over the coals about this, about knowing the difference between facts and truth. Remember? Remember? But hear it again. You see, the fact may be my arm hurts. Like even with Mike, I said, my knee. I have a thing with my knee that I'm dealing with. The facts may be that my knee hurts. So the facts may be that I don't have the money to pay this. But God's Word is truth. And He said, if you'll learn to keep applying the truth to the facts, you know, like a friend of mine did this. He, his head was messed up. <laughs> he just used to do this all the time. He said, I... Uh, if you learn to apply the truth to the facts, he said, you have to understand this. Facts have to change because truth will never change. The only thing that can, truth never changes. Truth is truth. God's word is what? It's truth, isn't it? Isn't it? Well, can truth ever be altered? Can one plus one ever be anything but two? I hope not. In other words, all science, all math, everything. I mean, you have to understand there are absolutes that everything in life and in work, architecture, mathematics, science, do you understand? They have to work with something that's an absolute. They have to have a lowest common denominator and only from an absolute does everything else have any value, right? All those incredible scientific formulas and mathematical formulas, they worked to launch ships to the point that they put man on the moon were dependent upon the fact that one plus one equals two. Have you thought about that? Well, see, this is what I mean. You and I have to start with something. And what we have to start with is this. God's word is truth. One plus one is two will always be two. Everything starts from there. God's word is truth. Everything has to start from there. All I know is that this stuff has to strike your spirit. Now the next verse is Deuteronomy 6. I speak on this and a lot of it. Verse 6, 7a on the outline, just read it. The Lord said, And these words which I am commanding you this day shall be first in your own mind and heart. Then you shall wet and sharpen them so as to make them penetrate. Remember? And I always give my little illustration about when I grew up in the mountains, my mom got San Joaquin Valley fever when I was a young boy. I'll try to say this as quick as possible. I had to, so I lived up in the mountains and had no toys, had no, well, my pets were two chipmunks that were bear and deer and what have you. But my dad bought me this deer knife, this incredible steel, and because my dad was a real, my, he grew up, you know, we grew up shooting and hunting. My dad was an incredible marksman. But anyhow, and he bought me three stones, three whetstones. You know what a whetstone is that you sharpen a knife on? It's called a whetstone in English. I don't know what it may be called anywhere else. But in America, there are three kinds. If you really have good steel, there's different kinds of whetstones. It's just like sandpaper. Some is coarse, some is fine. But the first one that you start a blade on is called, a, over there, is, it's called a hard Arkansas. Then there's a soft Arkansas. And then it's an Indian name. The finishing stone is called a washita. Washita. And my dad, like I said, he knew this stuff so well. And he said, son, he said, when you have real steel, I always remember he said, there's two ways you sharpen a blade. Some people do it circular. Some people do it with one, one pull. 
He said, however you start the blade, he said, you sharpen that blade for the rest of its life that way. He said, you can do it this way or do it that way, but whatever. I had this knife, and I, it's all I had to do up in the mountains. I didn't have any toys, as it were, per se, and I was up there, and I would, I would use that knife, and I mean, I worked. I worked with this blade. I worked with this blade, you know, the hard Arkansas. I worked in the soft Arkansas, and I worked with this. Well, I got this blade so sharp, like I always say, that this, you know, this thing, you know, I didn't cut it. It cut. I mean, you know, I mean, it was just sharp. So when I read these verses all those years ago, this word shall not, you shall hide this word in your heart and in your mind. You shall wet and sharpen it so that it will penetrate. I knew what that meant. See, you and I are supposed to work with the word of God and work with it. It's the sword which the spirit wields. It's a sword which the spirit wields. If you haven't worked with that blade if you haven't worked with it, you know, and you come up against an issue, it's like I always try to make a joke of it, but it's like a guy, you know, you get confronted with something and you go to pull out the sword and <laughs> you haven't worked with it for so long, it's rusted in its scabbard. You know, can't even, <laughs> can't get it out. Or if you do pull it out, it's so rusty, <laughs> disintegrates the moment there's any pressure put against it. I said the moment any pressure is put against it, it disintegrates. But if you work with this word and work with this word, it becomes alive to you. And in prayer, and this is where I make that statement again about the seven sons of Siva, when Paul cast the devil out of somebody, remember the seven sons of Siva said, hey, that's, that sounds cool. We're going to go down the street and try that with a guy we know. And they said, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out of the man. And remember those demon spirits, spirits spoke up and said, Paul we know and Jesus we know, but who are you? And these demons leapt on these people and defeated them. And again, the thing that so hit me all those years ago is the Lord said to me, those in the spirit realm, in this, are you listening? In the spirit realm, those spirits knew who Paul was. Paul was respected in the realm of the spirit. And what I'm trying to tell you is the more you work with this word and the more it becomes not something that's in your head, but something that's written upon the fleshly tablets of your heart, the more respect you begin to gain in the realm of the spirit. In other words, when you pull this out, that realm says this guy knows what he's talking about. He's not trying something. He means it. I'm not just saying, well, by his stripes I'm healed. He's say, there's, by, when he says it, by the stripes of Jesus I'm healed, he's seen a gigantic IMAX movie theater picture vision gigantic screen of Christ on the cross being 39 stripes on his back and, and dying a horrific death and being raised from the dead. All this panorama goes through his soul in a moment and he understands the price that was paid. And that's why he says, by his stripes, I was healed. Don't know about anybody else, but I was healed. And it comes out of his spirit, doesn't come out of his head. You, hear what I'm, you see what I'm trying to say? Because you've worked with it and you've worked with it. That's when prayer starts to become a force, man. But it's because you're working with it, and it's because it's alive to you. It's a living voice, remember, a living voice, not just something I'm attempting. And the way it becomes a living voice is by you working with the letter. It will go from the letter to the Spirit. Paul said, I thank God that he's made me an able minister, not of the letter of the New Testament, but of the Spirit of it, all right? It's like any good and useful tool. The Word of God must be worked with, taken care of, treated with respect. The Scripture demonstrates the need to prepare your heart with the Word of God. And he goes on there to speak about what I just said. 
As God told Moses, he would deliver Israel with the rod, which is a type of the word of God. So he has told us it's his word in our mouths that will set us free. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And then we get down, we're gonna, we have to finish now, but all these prayers, like the prayer that you hear me speak, all these prayers that are in Ephesians, and, and I've got on the next line, Ephesians 3, Philippians 1, Colossians 1. These are Holy Spirit written prayers that the Spirit of God wrote that you and I can take and personalize and allow them to become not letters, but rhema to us. Amen. And if you begin to pray these prayers, it will change your life and the lives of those around about you. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You have reached the end of this lesson. Please insert the next lesson to continue.